And we are live. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I should say good morning, Ashley. I think 10.30 a.m. CST is definitely still morning. Uh, I guess it depends on what time zone you're in, because we do have people all around the world that tune in from time to time. I got to say something out of the gate here. Usually it's not as bad in shows like these as it is in my shows that are dedicated to Bitcoin. But if you ever see anything in the comments below, just because it has my logo, it doesn't mean it's me. If it says, hit me up on WhatsApp or anything like that, or let's connect or anything like that, I will never, ever, 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 Infinity, put shit like that in the comments. And I also want to say something else about comments as we uh, as we start off today with those on the video feed. Uh, I recently found out there is a way to kind of up the spam detection threshold on YouTube, and they consider it experimental, so it may accidentally catch more comments than aren't really spam. I have turned that on, and, and this is why I've turned it on. It's these scammers. And so please be careful, not just on my videos, any video where you see stuff in the comments that looks like it's from the creator and they're asking you to reach out to them. I don't know any creators that do things that way, guys. I really don't. And I know at least one person in this this audience sent one of those types of people Bitcoin to pay for mining services. I don't offer any shit like that. I don't don't ever, ever ever, ever think that I'm asking you for personal information or individual contact in the comments and pretty much assume that no other creator is either. And just because you see my logo, anybody can grab that logo and attach it to a, a profile. And YouTube, you suck. You absolutely suck. There are many ways to make this problem go away, but clearly you don't really care. Anyway, disclaimer done. Let's get on with it. What are we going to talk about today? Today is an episode of Out Back with Jack. That's Variety Shows. i got seven bullet points for you today. My thoughts on red flag laws and how I think they're going to vary a great deal across the whole country. Because I think a lot of people that are upset about this, and I'm angry, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think they actually know what they're angry about. It's just an infringement on, on gun rights, which, yeah, you can be angry with that, but how will it affect you? It has a great deal of dependency on the state you're from. It's not what you many of you think it is. Uh, how Biden's gas tax holiday that he's proposing is a political stunt, but if they actually do it, why it might actually make everything worse. You're like, Jack, are you pro-tax now? Shut up. God, I hate people like this. When you point to something and say, this is what will happen if this thing happens and it happens to be negative, it doesn't mean you're pro or negative anything. It just means, hey, you see that big-ass cloud over there coming this way? It's going to rain. That's what it means, all right? Um, and I'm going to ask you a question. We talked about this a little yesterday during one of my interim segments, but what would you do? If I said, let's see, uh, Liberty Meat Solutions is here. Liberty Meat Solutions, I hereby declare the king of the economy. Thou hast control of the SEC, the FTC, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury. Thou shall be thy decree and thy shall fix thy economy. Because we got this guy, man, not sure. He's the smartest man in the world. He's going to fix everything and do it in two weeks. What would you do right now? And that's not, I'm not picking on Liberty Meat there, who was just on with us on Wednesday. This was the name that I happened to see when I looked into the uh, live chat. I want everyone to try to answer this question for yourself when we talk about it, because I think it shows you how screwed we are. Uh, then we are going to talk about why smart people reject the truth, in short, and how when they do any research at all, it's only to seek confirmation, and why that happens, and why you can get frustrated trying to explain a thing to a person you know isn't stupid, 
and they behave stupidly, and you're not sure why. I'm going to explain that so that maybe you'll stop banging your head in the wall so hard. Uh, and maybe you'll figure out how to actually talk to them. I don't know. Uh, we're going to talk about why we need to stop burning American treasure in Ukraine briefly. Even the media is starting to switch on this. Um, this is one of those things, like every single thing I said would happen here uh, since that invasion started has occurred, but I'm still wrong, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit like what could the U.S. learn from Russia's response to these sanctions that we should have learned when COVID started and we had all these problems due to importation from China, but we didn't learn. So some of you know what the answer is now, right? Uh, Russia's learning this lesson really, really fast. And then I'm going to end with, so how bad could it all get? What, what is, what is like, what could go totally wrong? I mean, totally wrong with the U.S. economy going forward and supply shortage and all. How bad could it get? And then how bad do I think it will get? Right? How bad do I think it will get? That's, that's a, and there's a delta in there. I don't think what could happen is what's going to happen at all. I think we have some really bad stuff coming, but I think like most things, When you tell the people that don't believe it's going to happen, it's going to happen, they think you're doom and gloom, and you think the end of the world is coming, and oh my God, we all need to crawl into our bunker. And when you tell the people that are convinced that, you know, the UN blue helmets are actually coming this time, and you will eat the bugs and be happy is coming for all of us, and they're going to round us all up or whatever, and you say, well, it won't be as bad as you think, that it's like, oh, you're just in denial, right? Anyway, David Noss, thank you for the, uh, $40 super chat. I really appreciate you. If you guys want to super chat me, they are enabled. Those of you that are watching the live video, David, thank you a lot. That's a, that's a big super chat out of the gate. I didn't even say anything yet. If you, if I make you mad that you want it back, just let me know. All right. And we got people coming in here. I'll try to keep up with uh, putting you guys up on the screen going forward. And if you want to ask me questions or give me talking points, all caps, at least for the first few words. I will try to see them and try to star them as we go along. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor of the day. I want to talk to you today about Paul Wheaton and Permies.com and all the great stuff that Paul has. But did you know that Paul has more than one website that you can find all this stuff on? And kind of the gateway website to learn about everything that is Paul Wheaton and the Paul Wheaton empire is going to be right here. This is richsoil.com. From here, you can get to the forums, the blogs. You can find out about the podcast, all the cool stuff. I mean, he has some cool stuff, guys. You know, if you get on this email list, just getting on his email list, he has over 37 freebies that you can get right here up in the corner. You can learn about solar dehydrators. You can learn about Sepp Holzer, the granddaddy of permaculture, in Paul's opinion and mine, all about cast iron skillets, rocket mast heater stoves, raising chickens 2.0. Even organic lawn care, but again, you can jump into uh, forums from here. That's the permies.com forums. You can learn all about what's going on. You can learn about the permaculture jamboree and the PDC coming up. You can find about all the ways. You can actually monetize your own content, like what's going on right there uh, on permies. Paul has built an empire in the best way possible. You guys should really check him out. Again, you can get over to see what he's got going on at permies.com, and you kind of find the gateway at richsoil.com. With that, let's dig into this. So let's start off with the red flag laws. And I don't want anybody out there for one minute to think that I'm okay with anything that they just have basically set in motion to do. But 
I also think we should understand what they've done. And, and we can talk about how bad it could be, and we will. But just because I say something that might mitigate what you think about it doesn't mean I'm saying it's okay or I endorse it. All right? So actually how I want to, uh, I, I want to start out with this is I want to actually talk about the Supreme Court decision that just came out that's actually good for gun owners and the reaction to it. And I want to draw a comparison as to how somebody, some people are acting about these red flag laws in that you don't know what you're angry about. You don't know why you're angry. And if you're just angry because, hey, they're stepping on gun owner rights, I think this is a bad thing and I don't think it should be done, fine. But I think there's a lot of people out there that think this new red flag law is like a federal law to be enforced by federal officials that will have federal mandates as to how it works. It's not. So how that how that's analogous to the Supreme Court law is you have all these people shrieking about the Supreme Court opinion. Remember, the Supreme Court issues opinions, not rulings, uh, on the New York law. So what people think this means is now anybody can go anywhere in New York with a gun anytime they want. Which is not what it means. Or they think that New York must give anybody that ever asked for it. They turned New York into a shell issue concealed carry state. That's not what it means at all. New York is, can, com completely can rewrite their law and reissue their law and go at it again. What the Supreme Court said about the New York state law was you're not enforcing your law according to your rules and therefore You can't do this. In other words, what what happened was, and I want to say thank you to Hummel Mechanic for the 499 Super Chat. He says, seems like no one has called you a jerk yet today. And the Super Chats are coming. Special Operations Equipment, John Willis from SOE with 20 bucks. Hey, guys, you like this shirt? You like the shirts I wear all the time? That's John Willis. But anyway, the the law basically made New York, again, what you call a may-issue state. You had to state on your application when you wanted to get a concealed carry permit why you wanted a concealed carry permit, what reasoning you had. And one of the people that brought the case said, basically, I live in a high-crime neighborhood. I have to park far from my house because it's freaking New York. On my way to my home, I'm afraid because of all these muggings, I'm going to get mugged or stabbed or something like that. I need to be able to defend myself. Well, they, they approved other people that gave very similar reasons, but they did, they disapproved this person. And they were picking and choosing, not based on the basis of the merits of the request. They were picking and choosing based on what they felt like doing at the time and who was in charge at the time. And what the court said is you have to do this uniformly. Now, none of these people that are shrieking about how people are going to die, everybody's going to die, Have any idea about that at all? None of them could tell you what the opinion was and how it worked. Also, all the dissenting justices in that opinion, I just have to say this. Not one of them cited, like, constitutional merits, the legality of the law, the virtue of the – like, none of that. It was all about how they felt, how they felt and something should be done and all these things. Like, Breyer's crap was just garbage. And I, I don't say that because I disagree with it. I say that because – It's not what a judge should be doing. Anyway, um, now let's talk about how that is analogous to the red flag laws. So I think there's a lot of people out there that think what this red flag law says is there'll be some, like, fed line. And I can just pick up the phone and I can call. I go, Mike is a dick, man. He's crazy. He's crazy and he's got guns. I've seen him. 
and you need to go over to Mike's house because Mike's in the chat right now, right? You go to Mike's house and you need to get your ass over there and you need to get his guns. And then the Fed dudes like FBI will come in and take Mike's guns. What it actually does is it provides money and basically guidance to the individual states to run red flag law problem, uh, programs of their own. This is not a good thing. It just is. That's what it does. It's not some federal red flag task force or something like that. So if the state of New Jersey wants really strong red flag laws. It kind of paves the way for them to do it with some cover from the federal government and some money to pay for it, which, again, I don't like this. I'm just, but I, what I'm saying is we already have red flag laws in some states, right? And a state right now can have a red flag law. They just, this basically makes it a little easier and gives them some money to help run the program with, which again, I'm opposed to. But if a state right now has no red flag laws, this does not mandate that they have red flag laws. Now, I do think there's a whole bait and switch like, oh, you want the money? Uh, you want the money? Because that's what federal federal mandates or federal money is used for. That's how you kind of grab the fingers of a governor and bend them back a little bit. Would you like these billions of dollars? And maybe we, we maybe we're not so strict on exactly how you use it as long as you have a red flag law. So they bait them in and what have you. But in the end, if your state doesn't have a red flag law already and there's not an attempt to institute a red flag law in your state, this may mean absolutely nothing for you in your state. And I just think it's important that we understand that. So if you want to fight back, you know what you're fighting. Now, it's interesting to me that there are no red flag laws in Texas. There's no real momentum toward initializing or in creating a red flag law in Texas. Without the governor in Texas calling an emergency session, we don't even get to talk about this for like another 18 months. Because one of the smart things that Texas has done with its legislature is they convene once every two years. Other than special sessions, emergency sessions called by the governor. Which means you don't get our legislator immediately enacting shit because everybody's all, everybody shit's all emotional right now, right? We don't, we don't have that happen. Because we don't have that ability without the governor being up. So if you had Beto right now, he could call an emergency session. He probably would. But Beto's not coming here. So we're probably not going to have any red flag laws in Texas anytime soon anyway as a result of this. I'm still pissed off because liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere. And the uh, suppression of liberty anywhere is bad for liberty everywhere. That's the other side of that. But I'm not going to lose my complete shit about it. But it is interesting to me that two of the sellout Republicans that voted for this garbage are Texas senators. And I think that one, Cornyn is probably going to retire rather than run again in 2024. I think he's when he's up for reelection. Or is it 2020? He might not be up for reelection until the next cycle. I'm not sure. He's way out. The other guy, I can't think of his name right now. He's going to get his ass primaried, I think, next time around. I think they're both betting on this being far enough out that they don't get primaried. Because uh, the odds that Texas will flip Democrat anytime soon is pretty low. But I think that's what they're playing at. But um, this is bad, but it's not the end of the world. It's not going to be the same everywhere, and I think it's important that we know that. Next up, Biden's gas tax holiday. So I talked about this on a couple social sites, and I got the usual shit. 
whenever you say, hey, if they do this tax cut, it could be a bad result. Yeah, Woody, Woody, I thought you were an anarchist. You should be opposed to all taxes. Let me, let me put it another way. Let's say Biden came out and said, you know what? Federal government's ex- like somehow like one of the brain cells dying, the right brain cell died, and he came out and said, hey, you know what we should do? No more federal gas tax at all. We should just get rid of it permanently, eliminate the federal gas tax. All right, I'm good with it. A, a window. Uh, no, somebody's asking, is that Dan Crenshaw at Tech Center? No, Dan's a, Dan's definitely what most people call a rhino, but I just call a Republican, but he's a congressman, not a, not a senator. He's in the house. Anyway, uh, senators have a lot more power than Congress people do. But anyway, if Biden came out and said, we'll just eliminate the federal gas tax. Yep. Do it. Do it. But a political stunt of doing it for 90 days. You know what? I'm not sure now because Ted Cruz is our other senator. I don't think he did vote for this. Maybe it was one of one of the members of the Texas House. So I I, I don't want to, you know, I'll beat Ted Cruz up on one day and defend him on the next. I do not think Ted Cruz voted for this. So I think Ted's fine then. I, I think I misspoke there. Anyway, um, but, yeah, we get rid of the gas tax holiday. Fine. Done. Finished. And thanks for correcting me there, uh, Drag Life. I really appreciate it. Um, but we're not going to. This 90-day window where you cut 18 cents off the cost of a gallon of gas is not a lot of money. And people are going to go, oh, I better get it. And what they're going to do is they're going to surge to the pump at the be- if, if they do it. I don't think they will, but if they do it, they'll surge to the pump at the beginning and they'll surge to the pump at the end. And there is no plan, okay, there is no plan to increase the supply side. So you're going to increase the demand, increase the willingness to buy gasoline without making more gasoline. So the 18 cents that comes off will come straight back on the price. And it will go up from there and it will actually make the cost of gas higher because there'll be more demand because supply and demand is part of inflation. It's not, it's not supply and demand or inflation. It is a component of the inflation in the price of goods and services. Now, what does that do? Well, that makes the price of everything else go up, which exasperates overall total inflation. And then what happens is at the end of it, there's another, oh shit, better fill everything up, get all the gas cans, all across America as it's about to expire. Then what Biden will say is we should extend it, which won't happen. And then he'll blame the Republicans who will have taken over Congress in the midterms, even though none of them are actually seated yet and won't be in position to do anything until January. The average idiot will believe it. And it'll just jack up and make everything worse. And then, you know, when it's going to really hit will be at the end of it when the the fuel price is already inflated and the tax comes back right about the holiday season when you're trying to put turkey on the table and buy by consumer level bullshit um, for your kids as presents for Christmas time, which will exasperate the supply shortage on that side. That's what will happen if they do it. Now, a lot of people say it's never going to happen, and I, I believe that it might not happen. There's not a lot of support, as you might imagine, from like the Democrats in Congress Because Democrats in Congress like your money and they want to have your money. And the motor fuels tax is a huge source of of income for the government. So I don't think they'll do that. They're more than happy to print money and hand it out. But they don't like to turn taxes off the the faucet in. It's it's a little weird because it's the same net effect. But, yeah, that's what will happen if they do that. And the whole thing, I think this is the play. So Biden has not come up with anything on his own in a long time. I think the guy is in, like, 
early to edging toward mid-stage dementia symptoms, guys. And I'm not saying that to be a dick. I, I, it just, again, it, it's like saying there's a cloud over there. I think it's going to rain. I think the president, if you didn't see yesterday, they ha- he went to a function at the White House and they gave him an instruction card and he was, you know, not with it enough that he held it faced away from him. And it's like, you enter the room. You, and you is in all caps. You sit down. You ask one question. You do this. So-and-so does that. So-and-so does that. You do this. You get up and exit the, the room. Like the basic fundamental fun. Like this is scary shit, right? So I think the people that are behind him are like his, his handlers said, here's what we'll do. We'll propose this gas holiday. This will drum up support. Maybe it'll save one or two people in the midterm elections. Who knows? It won't happen. Pelosi won't let it happen, and Schumer won't let it happen, and whatever. But we'll just say it's all the evil Republicans' fault, that they won't get on board with it, even though we control everything, and the average idiot will believe it, and they're probably right. So I think it's all a stunt. But I'll tell you right now, if they do it, it is going to exasperate the cost of gas, and it's going to exasperate the cost of everything, and it's going to turbocharge inflation. Except the Fed may do some things that send us straight into a recession and kill inflation. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But that's, that's where I think that, that whole thing goes is that they just blame the other side, even though they have control and make it like they tried to do something, but the bad Republicans wouldn't let them. But it'll be the Pelosi's. Um, but I want to ask you now, what would you do if I gave you control of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve and basic overall U.S. monetary policy right now? And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I don't have an answer for you that's comfortable. This is this is what we have right now at the macro, like the the two highest level decisions we can make right now with monetary policy. You tell me which one of these you would do. The Fed can either start pulling back the interest rates that they finally raised, try to heat the economy back off up. Uh, and stave off a recession. That's one option, which will send inflation straight back into parabolic upward momentum. You know, 8% a quarter momentum. That's one. The other thing is they can continue to raise interest rates. That's the primary. That's the interbank lending rate that pushes the rates of all other uh, debt all over the place, right? Now, if they do that, They do start to pull back on inflation. If everything costs more, especially in, in the sense of credit, then people and businesses spend less. So that will, I know some people like there's no way to rein inflation in. Yes, there is. You do that. You push interest, and I don't know how high you have to go, but if you keep adding interest rate hikes over time, you will tighten lending, not because the, the lender's not willing, but the borrower can't afford it. And you will slow down spending because the vast majority of spending in this country is through credit and extension of credit and leverage. And that will slow down the economy and that will slow down inflation and that will actually rein it in quite a bit. Well, then you send us into a recession that is worse than 08, 09, 2010. And <laughs> if you don't do the rate hike, 
and rein in the inflation. Eventually, the inflation creates a recession on the other end of it, but you stave it off for a time. What are you going to do? I think most of us would say, actually, what the Fed's doing right now, if they keep doing it, if they stick to their guns, is the way to go. Let's have the pain. Let's Now, somebody's saying demolish them, but, Craig, I don't want you to demolish it. I want you – you don't get to – like, I don't care who you make the head of the Fed. I don't care who you make the Secretary of the Treasury. You re- replace Powell and Yellen with Ron Paul. Ron Paul is probably better qualified to make this decision than all of us. He still has to work within the framework. I'm saying within the framework of what's doable with our existing structure, what would you do? And the reason I'm pointing that out is because all of it ends badly. All of it aim ends painfully. All of it ends with a hard landing. Remember Powell said not too long ago, I think we have a pretty decent, reasonable, maybe chance, possibly, of a soft landing. That's not, that's like, imagine you're, you're on an airplane and you're like, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to conduct an emergency landing. Don't worry. I'm a highly trained pilot. Been doing this job for 25 years and I've done emergency landings before. I think we have an absolutely reasonable, probable, possible, maybe good chance of a soft landing. At that point, you're doing the crash thing where you put your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye, aren't you? You know, atheist or not, you're starting to pray when you hear that. That's that's where we're going. And see, Joe says wreck that bitch. But do you know what that means, Joe? Do you know what this recession looks like? Like, I think there's a lot of people that lived through the 0809 recession and they're like, I can handle that again. It ain't going to be like 0809. This is a potentially a decades long event. Now, it could be shorter. I think there's some ways out. I won't say what ways out there are because I've made a commitment to you to not talk about that particular thing except one day a week. So I think there is ways that we could put certain assets on the balance sheet and begin to change everything. But we are in real danger of the United States dollar ceasing to be the world reserve currency if we don't figure this out, figure it out soon. And I don't necessarily think that we need to be the world's reserve currency. But I also know what it looks like on the other side of losing that status. I'm ready to get through it if I have to. I don't know how many Americans are. I think that a lot is, here's another one. Um, Michelle says, Michelle 1776, bring on the pain. I don't know if you really mean that. I think you mean it. I don't know if you know what it really means when the pain comes. We'll get to it on the final segment today, right? Um, When we get there, and, you know, Mike's talking about Roosevelt did it in the 30s, and 34 inflation took off too. That was going off the gold standard. That was actually resetting the gold standard, revaluing. So what Roosevelt did was we had one U.S. dollar uh, or 20 U.S. dollars, one ounce of gold. And I, Roosevelt reset that. It was either 33 or 37 dollars to the ounce. It devalued all the currency uh, to try to fix the Great Depression. It did absolutely no good whatsoever. But we don't have – see, none of that's an option today. We, we don't have the ability to go back to just shift back to a gold standard. It, it's, it's, it's not something we can do, and it wouldn't fix the problem. Because here's the reality. Going back to a hard asset standard when you're trillions of dollars in debt, what does that mean you have to do? 
you have to use the hard asset to fund the debt, then up till now you've been funding the debt with more debt. We're screwed, guys. We're screwed, and I think that people don't understand how screwed we are. Now, what Mike's got right here, the wealth transfer has occurred. Uh, you can read the rest for yourself if you're in the stream. Yeah, it did, and, and the way it occurred is all the people that got all the wealth, the dollars they hold are meaningless. The corporations they hold, their manufacturing capabilities, their technologies, their customer bases, their real estate, manufacturing facilities, intercorporate relationships, branding, all of that stuff that's on the balance sheet, that's where all the wealth is today. They don't care what it's denominated in. The entire currency can collapse. They still have all that shit. They still have all that shit. And whatever is done by the banks, since the banks are them, will benefit them, and they know it. At least they're going to try it. It's going to be, now Troy says, by Bitcoin. I think that's a good piece of advice, but we will uh, we will talk about that on Monday. Next up, I want to talk about why smart people reject the truth in so many ways. I, I recently had a discussion that was about Bitcoin with somebody that's an accountant and does international wire transfers, and they were telling me how stupid I am for believing in Bitcoin. And I'm thinking, if you transfer millions of dollars through the SWIFT system around the world every day, if you're not lying, he might not be, and you're not willing to look at a technology that would let you save your employer millions of dollars annually, and you're an accountant, I would fire you if you were my accountant. Right? That's an example of somebody that's locked into this must be bad because I say so, and because I've, I've said it's bad, I have to defend that it's bad. But let's talk about something else that's recent. Let's say that, let's say you had a friend, uh, we'll call her Lisa, right? We'll pick on Lisa since she's here. And Lisa, during the whole COVID thing, caught COVID. She caught it. Before there was a jab to protect you from the COVID. That's 1% effective after uh, like a week and a half, by the way. Um, And she so she's already had it, and she did pretty well with it, and she's like 35 years old. And then when the vaccine comes out, she doesn't immediately run out and get it, but she thinks she needs it. She listens to the propaganda on TV, and you're Lisa's friend. And so now it's been around a little while. The VAERS database has all these injury and death reports in it, more in a few months than in the past few years of all the other shots combined. And again, she's already had this, this illness and it was mild and she did just fine, but the TV keeps saying you need it. And she doesn't have a job that's making her do it. The only reason she would do it is she believes the TV set and the people on the internet. Lisa, I know you don't really do that, but I'm just using your name as an example here. So you hear her. She tells you, I think next week I'm going to go get the jab. And you say, Hey, Lisa, look. I want you to realize something. You already had this illness, and you didn't end up in the hospital or anything, so you already know that you tolerate it well. And here's the evidence that we have for how strong natural immunity is. And this is what T-cell immunity is. It's it's so far beyond antibodies that you have all these other mechanisms of immunity and genetic memory of what this thing looks like. Your body's going to be much better at attacking it in the future, and you already did fine. 99% of cases are mild anyway. Uh, most people don't end up dying or end up in a hospital. And there are significant risks with any uh, medical treatment. And here are the risks that go along with this. Would you evaluate? You don't even say don't do it. You say, I think you should evaluate this 
before you make your decision. And it won't be surprising when she gets mad and angry and closes down and says, I don't want to hear this. Even though she came to you with the idea of, I actually wanted your opinion. She wanted your opinion right up until the point wasn't, until the opinion wasn't what she was expecting. What she was expecting was for you to say, yeah, you know, that probably makes sense. I went and got my shot last time and I'm fine. Right. Now, this is where the perplexity comes in. In your mind, you and Lisa discussed one decision and one thing and one impact on your lives. You did it with fact. You did it with logic. You did it with reason. You didn't attack the person that is Lisa. You didn't attack Pfizer or Moderna. You didn't attack anybody on the TV set. You didn't do any of the tinfoil hat things about depopulation of the planet. You just said, these are the logical facts in the situation. This is your risk over here from a thing you already had. And this is potential risks that we're not really sure about yet from getting this shot that I don't think you need, but it's up to you. Lisa closed down. And you're like, wait a minute, Lisa's not stupid. Lisa's a smart person. I've known Lisa my whole life. Lisa's a teacher, or Lisa is a is an accountant, or Lisa is a, a manufacturing engineer or something. Lisa's a smart person. Why would this person refuse to look at this thing that's so easy to understand? And you would say, even if she decided to do it, I would understand it if it wasn't a shutdown response. If it wasn't, well, they said, or something stupid like that. Why Why is Lisa now spouting stupid shit to defend her decision, which if she were to say something you like, I've, I've looked at the risks, and I, I think my risk is also low of this, and I think it enhances my potential to not get or spread this disease. You might disagree, but you would say, you know what, that's, that's a reasonable... I don't know how you come to that conclusion if you actually look at the numbers, but I respect her right to disagree and for her to do whatever she wants to with her body. Hopefully I didn't uh, mispronoun you, Lisa. All right. Um, yeah, and you would. But why do they shut down? This is this is what people do not understand. You think, and Mike, that's a another super chat. Mike, thank you so much. He says, got to go to work, catch you on the podcast. Please do, Mike. Thank you for your, your contribution there. I really appreciate the value for value exchange. So we think we had a discussion about one thing, right? And Mike says facts really change somebody's opinion. But peer pressure does about 70% of the time. I, I agree with that to a, a degree as well. But it, it doesn't matter how many people tell them they're wrong if they've decided they're right. Okay? And this is what people don't get. You're attacking Not Lisa's belief in the jab. You're attacking Lisa's belief in the systems, period. In her subconscious, even if it's not at the front of her mind, even if she doesn't realize it when she's saying these words, what she's actually thinking, that background process in the computer that is the brain is running and saying, if this is not true, if, if, if the, the TV doctors and the media, and the drug companies, and the government, and the CDC, and the WHO, and all the other governments of all the rest of the world are saying this, and it's not true, 
then it can't be the only thing that I believe that they say that I've justified my belief by the fact that they say it is not true. Now I can't trust Pfizer and Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, the drug companies. Many of us know that. That makes it, see, if you know that, isn't it easier for you to accept this? But if you do trust them, this is very difficult for you to accept. It also means I can't trust the government. And most of the people in government, whether they have an R or a D, are like, even the ones that are like, you should have the freedom, but you should go get your shot, right? So now you can't trust even the person that has the affiliated initial after you. You can't trust my science, because this is science after all. Now, even though it's scientific data that you're using to make the decision, you still can't trust science because the science is settled. You're asking this person to let go of everything that they have based their life on and therefore their own identity. And they do not see it as you are attacking an idea, even though you've gone out of your way to be very clear. I'm not attacking you, Lisa. This has nothing to do with you, and I will support any decision you make. They don't hear that. You might as well have just said, blah, 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 blah. All they hear is, you, Lisa, must change your views about the entire world because you, Lisa, are wrong and everything you've ever believed is wrong. And you might think that's an overstatement. Polymath Guild says Dietrich Bonhoeffer has never been more relevant. If you did not hear the short that I played a couple months ago on Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, I will try to remember to add it to the show notes today. You really need to. You will understand the world you're in so much better once you understand this little piece of Bonhoeffer's work. But here's how this plays out. I have a family member I won't identify. But this person, I would describe, you said, what does this person do for a living at this point? Well, they're on government assistance. And I would describe them as a, describe them as a professional victim. Everything that's ever gone wrong in their life at all times, ever, was somebody else's fault because in this person's mind, they are so wonderful and so inspiring and so special and so optimistic in spite of always being depressed, it couldn't have been them. And in any instance where a caring family member has tried to say, I think you can do better, maybe you can take this approach, this is what you could do, let us help you out of this situation, not let us fix it for you, this person has on parabolically just flip out, screaming, shrieking, yelling at people, right? I mean, losing her mind, accusing people of shit, like just absolutely bullshit response. And when I've talked to people about it within the circle, trying to help this person at times, I've said this is the problem. If Let's say we got uh, Mike's here, right? So let's pick on Mike for a while, right? So Mike's here. It would be like I get Mike... And I sit him down in a room and I say, dude, this is going to be hard to accept. You're not Mike. You were never Mike. Somewhere along the time when you were about 20 years old, somebody stunned you in the head. We erased your memory and we put fake memories in your life that are that of Mike Sentex. You want, your parents aren't your parents. You didn't grow up where you grew up. You didn't, your first car wasn't a, a Chevy Malibu. It was a Toyota Corolla. Your first girlfriend was not named Debbie. Your first name, your first girlfriend's name was Bob. He was a boy. You're actually bisexual. We erased that from you. Like that radical. You didn't go to the prom because nobody liked you. 
You didn't take the prom queen to the prom. Your name's not Mike. Bill and Bill and, and, and Melissa are not your parents. These are not your grandparents. These are not your brothers and sisters. This sounds like a stretch. It's not. When you point out to somebody that a critical piece of their worldview is incorrect, and the reason they have that worldview is they have trust their educators, the systems, science, television, politicians, perceived authorities. This one thing is wrong. There was some story where the dragon had one piece of armor missing. Was it the Hobbit, right? And when if you shot the arrow and hit the dragon right in that spot, you could kill the dragon. The dragon is the system of belief. And when you pull that little, like you get this big, mighty dragon, and there's not a, the, the, the armor is full on. There isn't a little chink in it. But you reach in and go, hmm, see, that's interesting. And you pull it out. What does the dragon want to do? Pick it up, put some super glue on that bitch, stick it back on there and protect it. This is why your friend won't listen to you about prepping. If I need to prepare, the TV would have told me if I needed to prepare. If I can't trust the TV for that, I can't trust it for all these other things I've based my life on. If Bitcoin were really a good investment, my CFA financial advisor would have told me that. Right? And it goes on and on and on. If I really needed a gun to defend myself, surely the TV would have told me that. If it was really dangerous to go downtown, surely the TV would have told me that. If this scientific theory was bunk and disproven already, surely the TV would have told me that. Somebody would have told me that. It wouldn't have been my friend. He's kind of a little out there. But that's what it is, guys. And that's why you'll never get through it until the person willingly clicks off that piece of armor and says, I'm willing to be reborn. Because that's, you know, that's what the Matrix movie is really all about. You talk about unplugging from the Matrix. It's really like a rebirth, isn't it? It's really like a rebirth. Once you accept any of this, eventually you have to accept most of it, or at minimum you have to accept the fact that most of what I've been told is either a lie or the truth for an agenda that is not what what is claimed. I'll use climate change. People think I don't believe climate change. I believe in climate change. I just don't believe that CO2 is the primary cause of the warming of the planet because I understand science and I understand what's known as the saturation limit. And if you ask me what the four feedbacks are in the climate model, unlike most people who shriek and yell when you say this, I can actually tell you what they are. And if you can't, you're not equipped to have this conversation. Go look those up, first of all. Um, but I think there's actually right now a macro climate shift occurring. And I don't think it's so much a change in the global climate, but it's a change in where the climates are, what they are. For instance, in the United States, I believe our dry line, because I trust actual science and data, is moving east. And it means that my area is going to be hotter and drier than it has been. It also means that areas to my east may be warmer and wetter and have more severe weather like spin-up tornadoes like we used to have 15 years ago here all the time that we don't have anymore. We got less rain. We got less tornadoes at the same time. 
And it's hotter because we get less rain, so we have less cloud cover, so we get more direct heat onto our land. And our land then, you know, has more and more devegetation. So I, I believe in climate change. So when, when, the, when the system says there's climate change, I'm like, okay, now let's talk about what to do about it, which is more adaptation than prevention, right? So it's not that the, uh, the overall macro is the lie. It's what's the agenda. The agenda is uh, carbon is bad, which all life is based on. Cows are bad. Which, like, there was about as many bison here as there are cows today. So that's just bullshit. And it, it, there's the whole grassland, res, you know, basically, if you want to restore ground and put carbon in the soil, you want ruminants. Savannah mimic grazing systems are the most productive carbon sinks on the planet, infinity. They're more productive as a carbon sink than a rainforest. And if you think cows are bad, well, then you know what we should do? Should We should get a bunch of helicopters with some M60s and hang out the door, and we should fly over to Africa and go across the Serengeti Plains, and we should wipe out all the wildebeest and the Cape Buffalo, because it's the same thing. We should start eliminating all the deer, all the elk. Come on. If ruminants are bad, ruminants are bad. This doesn't make any sense. So the person you're talking to, back to where we started this segment, they either have to accept that they're wrong about this, and therefore everything has a different view, even when it's true. Or they can cling to the thing they've built their entire life on. That's why it's so hard. And yes, I think, I think Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity plays into this, but it's not in, in of itself. This is a natural preservation technique, right? It's hard to change your mind about something. And the more you've said it and the more you're on record with it, the harder it is to change your mind. Here's an example. I use the boiling frog story. As a public speaker, for years, I thought it was true. I should have known better. I'm an amateur herpetologist. I know that when I set up a, an aquarium or a terrarium or whatever for a reptile or amphibian, I give them a hot side and a cold side. And when they're uncomfortable, they move, right, and they find their little goldies. I knew that, but yet everybody said it, so I believed it. So when somebody said, hey, that boiling frog shit's bullshit, I was like, I don't want to. My head went, no, and but my, my rational brain immediately went, you're probably wrong. And then I found out, like, Mythbusters actually did experiments and proved that it was bullshit. And I'm like, okay, it's bullshit. I have to accept that now. But I'll tell people it's bullshit. And you know what they say? They get mad at me, right? That's that. I based my worldview on this. I've stepped out on it. So that's why. And that's why you can't fix it. I also want to, right now, I want to share with you a... Quick little video here on what's going on in Ukraine. And everybody will now scream and shriek that Jack is a tool of Putin. But I want you to listen to this. This is on Fox News. I have a few comments on this, and we'll move on to the next segment. Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis is a senior fellow at Defense Priorities. You know, listen, I was for the sanctions. I was for the armaments. But, But I, think I think we, we all know at this point this is a proxy war to bleed Russia dry. I don't know how effective that is going, going to be at all. And what's, what's the cost, cost to the country of Ukraine? Ukraine? Do you, Do you see, see any, any way Ukraine, Ukraine can turn this thing around? I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's got to be a long shot, right? 
You know, you know, Jesse, I, I don't even think it's a long shot. I think when you look at the military fundamentals, just what has historically always been the difference between winning and losing, and when you look at the balance of power, especially the forces on the ground, they are overwhelmingly in favor of Russia. There is no rational basis upon which to hope that the war can turn around because Russia is methodically moving through and destroying the Ukrainian armed forces in the Donbass. More than capturing territory, they're destroying their ability to defend the country anywhere else. And even the sum total of all of the weapons that we have pledged, much less has shown up, it's barely a tenth of what would be the minimum necessary. And when you look at those two things right there alone, there is no rational path to a victory for Ukraine. And therefore, even this, the, uh, the, uh, the path that we want to harm Russia is is a temporary one, a short-term one, but it comes at profound cost, like you say. All right, so there's a couple things I want to point out in this. First and foremost is what you heard the military analysts saying. Who could have told you that like four or five months ago? There is no way that this can be done. There's no way that the Ukraine forces, no matter how much of our money and weapons we send them can stand up to the Russian military in a local war situation. Can't be done. And I believe that I said when this started that the best case scenario right now is when this war ends, Russia occupies the Donbass region, Ukraine must capitulate, and then Russia either sets up the Donbass republics as an independent republic friendly to Russia or absorbs them into the Russian Federation has a contiguous now link to Crimea, which is what Putin probably wants. That's what probably, well, that's what's going to happen. That's what would have happened. Now there's, there's a thing about war. We want to believe that we are the good guys and our guys win and the good guys always win. And that is not how wars work. And there is a fundamental reality of war. If the outcome is certain, and I believe that it is here, then shortening the duration of the war is in the best interest of everybody involved. That's a, you, you cannot like it. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean that it's not true. And you can talk about policies of appeasement and Neville Chamberlain, and this is a totally different situation. This is a war that's been going on for eight years prior. This is a region of the Ukraine that is ethnically Russian by over 90%. This is a region of Ukraine that would prefer to be part of Russia than part of Ukraine or to be their own thing. This is a place where these battles have been going on for eight years and, and no one has told you about it except when they wanted to impeach Trump. And this is a place where strategically, if you're the Ukraine government, the smartest thing for you to do would have been to end this as quickly as possible to let this go. And the reason you would let it go is then you wouldn't have to ban the opposition party, which, by the way, Zelensky just did. They're their democracy. So basically it would be like if Biden came out right now and banned the Republican Party. That's what just happened in Ukraine. They banned the party not in power from its existence. That's our democratic ally. That's our, that's our not corrupt buddy over there that we can trust, right? And that's the, the people that we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars on American treasure on. And it's like sending them gold and having them melted into the soil. That's what's happening right now. And K Bong says, is there really 
a winner of war? I guess there is. But both sides also lose. War is expensive in life, treasure, political capital, in every way possible. This isn't pro-Putin. I know some of you think it is. It's not. It's reality. The Russian military is superior in every measurable way to the Ukrainian military. The end. And you can't just take advanced weaponry, put it into a, another nation's hands, and have them effectively deploy it. You can't. The strategy with the weapon is important, as important as the weapon. Right now, there's videos. If you go look at Pat, Patrick Lancaster's YouTube, this is an, a journalist, an actual journalist, doing actual journalism that's been embedded with Russian forces and Donbass forces for over eight years. He's been on the ground, and he might be biased, but he's there, and he's showing you what's happening. And they're finding stockpiles of our freaking javelins and all the shit, our, our howitzer shells, all the shit we're giving to Ukraine, where the Ukrainian forces run away and leave all the shit that we gave them. Well, now either the Russians destroy it, or if it's something that they can use, they turn it around and, and, and fire it back at them. This is where we are. My bigger thing, though, what did, what did, what did, what did Jesse Waters have to say? Well, I, I was four. It's like saying, it's the same shit, right? Like, I, I you know, the, the, the celebrity or politician gets COVIDs, and they're like, I am highly grateful that I am triple jabbed and quadruple boosted and continue to receive the protection that the vaccine provides while I sit at home diagnosed with the COVIDs. Same shit. It's the same shit. I supported the sanctions in arming the Ukraine. Okay, so now you're at a point where you know that you were wrong and you still have to state where you were in the beginning for some sort of virtue signaling bullshit. This is Fox News, not MSNBC or CNN or whatever. This is, this is a world of disillusion and non-reality that we live in, guys. I said from the beginning, we shouldn't spend one dime or one bit of effort on this thing because the outcome is known. That doesn't mean I like the outcome. You understand that? Like when the outcome is known in war, the best results will come from the shortest war possible. And if you said, well, you just wanted like Ukraine, no, Ukraine, was fully within their rights, within their sovereign borders, to defend themselves as best they can. We have no alliance with Ukraine. That's a myth. That's a lie. We have no an alliance is where it's on paper and says we agree to these things under these circumstances with military assistance. We don't have one. They're not part of NATO. They're not even part of the EU, though they may become part of the EU. So you already know what's going to happen. We have no moral obligation, no legal, certainly no legal obligation to get involved. We already know that every dime we spend will be lost, but let's go do it anyway. And what have we gotten? We've got nothing. We got nothing. We got nothing. Tens of billions of dollars. I mean, Raytheon got something, Northrop Grumman and Lockheed got something, right? Boeing got something. All the people that build our shit, they got something. They got new contracts to resupply all the shit we sent to Ukraine. But we, the people, we got nothing for it. Geopolitically, we got nothing for it. What did Russia get? The best performing currency in the world this year, the ruble. That's what Russia got. Now, I want to talk about something else. 
what Russia's learned that we refuse to learn. Again, this isn't pro-Russia. This is, hey, look, here's our adversary doing shit better than we are. Maybe we should do shit better than they're doing. So this is, this is what Russia's doing right now. They are investing their ass off into domestic manufacturing and production. That's what they're doing. They're stockpiling gold and they're investing into factories, into plants, into things like that. Russia has a great airplane industry, a great aerospace industry. However, they also buy a lot of planes like from Boeing because Boeing basically builds the best jets on the planet. However, however, uh, those planes require parts. Like I don't think people realize how much maintenance goes into keeping a plane in the air. This is where like, One of the things people don't understand when like we sell like fighter jets to the Saudis or whatever, if they turn on us, they got six months to fly those planes. If they're going to use them and maybe less if they don't, planes actually degrade more when they're not flown. It's a weird thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, they, they, they've got maybe six months that they can maintain those planes without us. That's one of the, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's one of the mitigating circumstances. So Russia's in this situation, not really with military aircraft. Russia was never dumb enough to rely on China or the United States to keep their MiGs in the air. But a lot of their cargo planes, their passenger planes and things like that, they're, they're Western-built aircraft and, and they're short on supplies. So they're not getting rid of all of them. They're doing two things. One, they're putting in manufacturing capabilities to manufacture their own parts for them. And two, they're building a shitload of new aircraft. A lot of these planes won't fly until 2024-2026. It takes time to do this. It won't fix it overnight, but they're laying that groundwork and they're doing it right now right in the middle of a crisis. What's the US doing? Increasing our dependence on China. Yeah. That's what we're doing and increasing our dependence on foreign oil. Increasing our dependence on foreign energy. We're going to put in solar panels. Well, maybe we should make it really a lot easier to manufacture solar panels in the United States, and I'm just saying. Maybe we should start doing the exploration for the raw materials in the United States, or at least in nations that are more friendly to us or not aligned with our enemies. Because most of our rare earth elements and shit like that for that industry now, they either come from China or they come from Australia. Australia's are friends. You mean Australia that put their own people in internment camps that is more entangled with China than we are? That Australia? Like, maybe if we're going to do that, we should actually, like, do it here. Maybe we shouldn't be in a position where, like, right now, we can't even manufacture a freaking penicillin or tetracycline without materials from China or India. Maybe we should do this, too, because Russia is doing it across the board. Because they've learned from this. They've learned from this. They, they got banned from SWIFT. They're, they they keep going in and out on the whole cryptocurrency Bitcoin thing. In the end, they're going to end up, and there's been a lot of kind of like signaling that this is going to happen. They're going to they're going to embrace it because it makes sense. They're learning. We're not. We're not. We're not learning. And so that's where I want to end with today. How bad could all of this get? We're still dependent on nations that don't like us for our energy and materials, raw materials and completed goods. We're still dependent on nations who are iffy on their ability, even if they like us, to continue to supply us with things like cadmium and nickel and shit like that, like Australia. We're doing nothing about that. 
We are in a energy shortage as far as fuel, specifically diesel fuel and DEF, which we only need because we put all these boxes in the trucks that make the truck need it. You can like turn the box off. You turn the box off and the truck would run without it. It's literally a box that says, I don't detect death. I'm going to slow the truck down and now I'm going to, it can only go a certain number of miles. I'm going to shut it off and I won't let it run. We don't need it. It makes the environment cleaner, supposedly, even though the death is in the diesel exhaust fluid is what I'm talking about, guys. It's incredibly pollutive to make and most of it, the urea for it comes from Russia. The most of the fertilizer urea for manufacturing in the United States comes from Russia. Because it's dirty to make, and we don't want to make it here, so it's okay if somebody makes it somewhere else and we bring it in. And we're doing nothing about that. Our economic policy is garbage. It's garbage. And the best decision's bad. The best decision right now, hike rates, cause a recession, accept a recession, plow through it as fast and hard as possible, do no relief whatsoever, no more stimulus, no more nothing, people lose jobs, people lose houses, people end up on the street, screw it. We have to get through it. It would be relatively short term. It's horrific anyway, and there's no stomach for it. The other alternative is continue to build inflation to the point where we have the recession anyway. That's the other side. Okay. Yay. Woohoo. That's a one. How bad can this get? It could get to where 10 20% of people in the United States face evictions from their own homes and their apartments they can't pay for. Uh, most of them won't actually go through the process because they'll bail just like 2008. And they'll go find a cheaper place to stay if they don't burn everything as far as their creditworthiness to the next landlord on the way down the pike. But tons of people losing everything that they have. Uh, there's already been trillions of dollars wiped out in stocks, in mutual funds, and 401ks this cycle alone. It, people freak out about that and then liquidate while they're down. That lets all the rich people acquire. It could get really bad. How bad do I think it's going to get? Really bad. What I see is a lot like the 1970s. But here's where it gets worse. And again, some of you that don't have any memory of the 70s, you think that's better than it is, right? If you didn't live from like 71 to 83, being old enough to remember what it was like, don't think that mitigates things that much. But let's, let's, let's add on to it. Let's take 1970s stagflation U.S., super high interest rates, complete crash of the mortgage market, tons of entrepreneurs losing everything they had that were in real estate, et cetera. And then let's add a little bit of 1980s Russia into it, Soviet Union, with just the shortages of, like, this bursty shortage. Like, people think that you couldn't get anything in Russia in the 1980s. This is bullshit. But it would be a certain group of things, maybe not even connected, would become unavailable and people would stand in line when they became available. We don't stand in lines anymore physically, right? But we stand in line online. And it becomes more and more difficult to acquire the things that you want and need. And then you also have this kind of breakdown of the social fabric. 
And the actual good in the 1970s, and since we were actually progressing along the, the, the realm, we had been through the worst of the, of the conflict of the civil rights movement in the 60s, and we were progressing in the right direction, and women's rights were coming along, and, every, and we, there was actually a legitimate reason to be on the left of social issues in the 1970s, moving into the 1980s. There was a lot of merging of philosophy. Uh, merging uh, of intercooperation, and there was a certain level of, we are all Americans. I never saw anybody shit on the American flag in 1984, and I'm old enough to remember 1984 well. I never saw, you know, there might have been some people that were anti-American, but there weren't, there wasn't like a really big undertone of America sucks. Even the people that were against what America was doing were like, I want America to be better. And we're all Americans and we're all in this together. And unlike the bullshit with COVID, just people actually meant that when they said that. What happened when the Soviet Union fell apart, they lost that social fabric. And all these places like Lithuania, Ukraine, Georgia, Kazakhstan, et cetera, said, wait a minute, we're not part of this shit. And a lot of people in Russia, we call Russia proper today, said, well, maybe they're not. Maybe, what do we need? What, what do we get from these people? They cost us more than they're worth. We're not all brothers under the Soviet flag. Plus, the government sucked. Ooh, that doesn't that apply to us now, does it? And everything broke. And it was very dangerous. It still is. But at the time, prior to the, the complete breakdown, it was very dangerous to walk down the wrong street in Moscow or most big cities in Russia. That, that doesn't. That's not like the United States or nothing. You're totally self safe walking through like back streets in LA, right? Right? You know, you're totally safe. It's totally, and I mean places that were safe in the 70s and 80s. There's no places that were safe because there's always bad places in every city. I'm just, you see what I'm saying? Places that traditionally were pretty safe to be. I handled New York City as part of my sales territory in the early 2000s. You could go almost anywhere in Manhattan. And be completely safe back then. You, how, do, how do you feel about that now? We are headed to a place where this is all going to explode. I think there's a high probability that the, a couple more Supreme Court opinions get released today or next Friday. It, the, the people in government love riots. Riots are all part of the plan. So they love to release things that cause riots on Thursdays or Fridays to give momentum over the weekend for them to occur. So there's a good chance of that. There's a good chance of another summer erupting into flames. Fiery, but mostly peaceful protests. But this, you have to understand this time. This is a long duration problem. This does not go away easily, but I do think there's plenty of opportunity to build during it. And I encourage you to build your life, your skill set, your business, um, all of it. All of it. I encourage you. Let's go look at some of the stuff you guys sent me. If you got, if you want to add anything, now is the time. Last call for all caps, all caps in the uh, chat, and I will, uh, I'll, I'll go through the six I have started right now, and then I'll come back around and we'll go from there, from where we left off. So that's your, this is your chance. Uh, Tim says, appears Clarence Thomas left the door open to overturn the gay marriage ruling. Maybe. Um. My personal opinion, 
on, on that issue is if gay guys want to get married or gay women want to get married, let them get married. And when you say, but look at now we have like rumors and all, those two things are only connected in your head. If the government offers a form of contract under their purview and protection to one, it should be offered equally to all. Period. I'm sorry. And you can say what you want about traditional marriage. You go back and look at what traditional marriages are, especially in your Bible. Right? Like, so when I'm married and my wife's sister's husband gets killed, I'm supposed to add her to my, my harem, basically, and become my second wife. There's your traditional marriage, just as one example. But it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's not a logical, rational argument. Uh, I cannot be for uh, decisions that people make, but I don't need to stand in the way of them. I think most people in this country today have no problem with gay people. I don't think most people in this country actually have a problem with trans people. They have a problem with you trying to force me to accept your way of life into my life with an embrace. And you trying to hoist it on my kids. And basically, when BLM started up, they did the whole shit about silence is violence. Like that, that, that mentality. That's what people object to. Letting men compete in women's sports. Letting some dude walk into a girl's bathroom because he identifies, like, that's what people object to. Um, I think that's so long down the pike. Clarence Thomas won't be around if it gets back up there. Uh, Tim says Roe v. Wade was overturned. I have not been watching the news this morning, so there it is, isn't it? What I just said, they like to release inflammatory bullshit on a Friday. And in this case, they gave it a one-two punch. There was no reason that the release of that could not have been held to a Monday. And it would have made a lot of sense. You only do that because you want to be weekend headlines all the way through the weekend. That's playing politics from the level of the court. That's not what the courts are supposed to do. Uh, K-Bonk said, Mike had a fire sale of dated technologies. Mick had a fire sale of dated. I don't know what that means. K-Bonk, if you want to clarify that for me, I will check it on the other side. Uh, Michael says, we are currently reindustrializing faster than anyone sourced Peter Zahan. I, I, I don't believe that we are. And then again, I do believe that we are. The place that is experiencing an absolute boom domestically is the southeastern United States. And so since so many people are moving to Texas, you might think I'm calling that Texas and Florida. Uh, and Florida obviously actually is the southeast. That's not really where I mean. It's Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, the Carolinas, Missouri. There is an incredible boom going on in that part of the country right now. And it's actually a really good area to look into reload and Florida and Texas as well. But along the Mississippi River corridor, uh, within, you know, um, a half day's trucking between the Mississippi River and back, all up and through there. There are tremendous places, tremendous number of places that are, and John Pugliano talked about this at our workshop last November. So there is revitalization going on to a great degree, but at the same time, we have an economic policy that makes it absolutely untenable for it to be sustained. So I think we have, we, there's no doubt that if the United States of America had the right leadership, if they said, we're going to go through the pain, we're going to fix this as best we can, we know we messed up, it's going to hurt, everybody's going to have to understand that it's going to hurt. 
But we are going to 100% invest in domestic energy production, domestic clean energy production. I'm not opposed to clean energy. Just you have to do the two together to make it work, right? And we're going to invest in domestic manufacturing and production, and we are going to secure and stockpile the raw materials that we do not have in abundance here. That we we couldn't restore American greatness as a standpoint of the best place in the world to be living. There's no doubt we could do that. My concern is that I don't think we're I don't think we're going to. Not anytime soon. I hope that we do. I want to be wrong about that. But this requires something that is the biggest thing we've lost. The biggest thing we've lost is not how bad we screwed up our money supply. The biggest thing we've lost is a brotherhood. The biggest thing we lost was unity, real unity, where you can hate somebody, but in the end, hey, red, white, and blue, baby. And I'm, I'm not talking blind patriotism here. When you can dislike somebody, when you can disagree with their opinion, but at the end of the day, you share a commonality whether that's being an American or being a Texan or being a Catholic. When you have that, you're ne- that, that society is never blindly patriotic or blindly religious because it means that it's okay to question the macro viewpoint, to have diver- diverging opinions. It's still at the end of the day, this is what we have for now. We're going to go forward with it together. I've never seen this country more divided than it is today. And I know I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I didn't live through the 60s. I think we're more divided than we were in the 60s and the 50s. I really do. And we destroyed the family on top of it. We destroyed the nuclear family in this country. And I know many of you are like, I got a strong nuclear family. I understand. I'm talking about as a, as a matter of course. We have a shitload of men, and I understand why. I disagree with you. I understand why you feel this way. Like, I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. A lot of them are good men, too. The men that would make the best fathers and leaders of their, and husbands and leaders of their home. Because they're smart enough to go, I see what the family court system does. I'm not doing this. Damn right. I'm, I'm going to save my money, buy myself a house and play video games till I'm 50. Yeah, I am. I don't give a shit. I'm going to take vacations and I'm going to go snorkeling and I'm going to have random chicks and I'm going to use whatever dating app they have for it. Maybe I'll even get snipped so I can't get tricked. Right? Like, We didn't have that in the 60s and the 70s, then the 50s. They destroyed the family on the, on the African American side hard with welfare systems. The, the black families in this country 70 years ago were some of the strongest nuclear families that anybody's ever known in the Western world, and they wrecked that too. They've wrecked everything that can be wrecked. And now we have to deal with this in that situation. That's a totally different situation than dealing with it if we were actually united. And, and, and we could still disagree and still be united. Um, Tiger says, Jack, thanks. Learning some things today. Feeling normal today, Keith. I'm glad you're feeling normal, man. And then Tramel says, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Careful this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's not riots this weekend, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be riots next week. And let's see if anybody else all capped me here going back. I don't see. Oh. Don Ricardo says, truck driving going by the wayside, question mark, uh, eventually. 
But we're, we're still a long way from that. I think what you're going to see is more and more the trucks that go across the country, which is not what you would think, will be the first one that are, are, are autonomous. There'll be a guy sitting there, like the Simpsons episode, right, where, where Homer got out on the hood and all the other truckers beat his ass because he gave away the secret that the auto truck driver thing was going. So that'll be like they'll do that until they're comfortable with it. But it's going to be much easier for a truck to do the long-haul portion on autopilot because you're not going down side lanes. You're not like a truck driver's job on the highway is I'm not, I know some of you do it. You're going to get pissed at me, but it's relatively simple, simplistic speed up, slow down, change lanes where the guy with the 18 wheeler impresses me is when there's, there's two 18 wheelers at the shipping dock and there's only a little bit of space on both sides of it. And that guy comes down that back road, pulls around and backs that truck in or gets down that side alley and he has to pull his mirrors in to fit through the side alley, that's where it's impressive, right? And I think that, yeah, computers will be able to do that, but we'll trust them less to do that. They just go straight down the road. And then the mapping software knows the highways of construction, et cetera, much better. We have, like, right now, like, if you use Waze uh, when you travel like I just did, I even know when there's a cop ahead. It's better than a radar detector. Right. And I know when there's a wreck ahead and I know when it like, so all of that tech I think is going to move us toward that, but we're still a ways out from that yet. That'll actually, it's one of the, one of the, one of the jobs that people most see as being replaced by automation, but it may be one of the last to be fully replaced by automation. Christian says, Hey Jack, unrelated today about your hundred gallon stock tank wigging beds in practice. Have you actually noticed the performance difference between your static and flow through beds? Now, now, in fact, I would tell you though that static or timed flow through on a wicking bed. So what I mean is you don't have water constantly going through the bottom of the wicking bed. It's probably better because over time, the constant flow actually creates a nutrient sink and takes nutrient out of the soil. It doesn't do it if you're like, if you were washing it through from the surface all the time, but it does do it somewhat over time. So I have actually gone to all my wicking beds that are hooked up to an aquatic system that are then watered, like filled up from a pond system. They're on timers. They run for 15 minutes once a day. That tops them and tops them long enough that they stay topped and then shuts off. It's more efficient. It uses less energy, and it has less of a nutrient sink to it as well. So that really isn't related to anything we talked about today, but – uh We'll see. Uh, Green Country Agriforce says, I don't have a problem with people who are not, quote, normal, end quote. What I have a problem with is people trying to make me pretend abnormal is normal. Yeah. I think, I think most Americans feel that way. I think a lot of, like, I grew up at a time where, like, the worst thing you could have been in, like, when I was in middle school was gay. That would have been worse than any religion, race, whatever. Like, if you were gay, you were going to be mocked and picked on, et cetera. Like, it was just the way society was. I think most people, they don't give a damn if some dude or some chick is gay. You know, the, the lady that does my pool is gay. And, you know, I still have a little bit of just growing up during that time when she says, like, my wife, if we're, if we're just talking about something. Like, and, but, you know, I don't really care. Why, why should I care? But if she was over here saying, hey, look, man, I really need you to embrace the gay agenda, I would fire her ass. Right? 
I, of course, I, I don't want to hear your shit. Like that's, that's a totally different conversation. I, I've worked with gay people in professional situations. Some you knew, some eventually you found. I don't care. But don't, don't make like I have to embrace your lifestyle to be willing to accept your right to live your lifestyle. Um, I occasionally use some of the sacred herbage, right? So, you know, I might use a little bit of cannabis here and there. And it, yes, I might use the cannabis that is the legal in my state CBD cannabis, but I might partake of other uh, varieties of the sacred herb at times. I'm not on here every day telling you that you need to do it too, am I? I just would prefer that you would give me the freedom in my life to use a plant or to grow a plant and not throw me in a cage and kidnap me and steal my wealth because I grew or possessed a plant or part of a plant. And I think that most people are there with that issue, not all, but most people are there with that issue too. Um, I think that this country is in a good place with the mentality of the majority of people, but that we have a government and a situation, a system, an oligarchy, whose primary agenda, the government, the industry, the corporation, and the world global movement of global governance, the goal is do not let them work together. Do not let them see where they are similar. Do not let them know that most of them agree with each other. So we will amplify the voice of the anti-gun community, way beyond its actual numbers. And then by doing so, we'll actually grow its numbers. And then we'll amplify the voice of, like, the, the, the crazy, absolute militant nut job, right? So that that will make that appear to be larger number, that will make the other, and then you do it in everything. You do it in everything. Can't just have gay rights and trans rights. No, we, we have to have... A six-foot dude destroying girls' lives who've worked their whole life to compete in women's swimming. We have to have that, too. We can't just have, you know, by the time kids are in high school and they have sex ed, understanding that there are people that live differently than them. No, we have to have kindergartners hearing about their, you know, quad-sexual teacher's lifestyle. We have to have that. That doesn't make any sense. The average American is not for this. They really aren't, even if they're afraid to admit that they're not for it publicly. But we can't have that. We must divide because the goal is to conquer. How do we get past it? I don't know. And this is what I said recently and what I'm going to close with today. I have a lot of discussions now because I'm not shadow banned on Twitter anymore, and there's a lot of interaction, a lot of, uh, discussion on Twitter. You guys can follow me on Twitter if you want to. I am the survival pod. See you there. Mostly I talk about Bitcoin on Twitter because that's where the most Bitcoin discussion is and I do everything else on other social media. But I'm, I'm finding a lot of my contemporaries and podcasting and stuff like that are now starting to talk to me on Twitter because they actually see my posts and things. And there's a lot of them that are really heavily pushing now the idea that we we can't be complicit politically anymore in the anarcho space. Even if we don't agree, we have to get involved. We have to get involved in the LP, or we have to like pick the right people to put in offices, Republicans or maybe even Democrats strategically. Like we have to get involved. And what I said is, guys, if you want collectivist solutions, I'm not even opposed to the idea. You just don't want me. I'm not your guy for that. 
I, it's not that I oppose the idea of fixing this at a collective level. It's my pay grades here and that's up here. That's on the TV and I don't want to be there. You're worried about your food. I teach you how to store it and how to grow it. You're worried about your money. I teach you how to preserve it and how to invest for the future. You're worried about your job. I teach you how to be an entrepreneur. You're worried about the school system. I teach you how to get your kid the hell out of the school system so they don't destroy your child's mind. I teach you put your household in order. Put your household in order. Everything can go to shit around you. That doesn't mean you'll be completely safe, but at least you can defend what you have. I didn't say defend successfully. You have the opportunity to defend things because you bring them into your circle of control. If that happens for enough people, then the total macro at the top will also shift. But that macro will shift back and forth between Democrat and Republican, between complete lunacy and some semblance of sanity, complete fiscal recklessness to some fiscal form of intelligence. That's going to happen anyway. I don't control it. I don't pretend I control it. And I'm not going to freaking lie to you guys and tell you you control it because you don't. I am not going to lie to you and tell you if you just pull the right lever in November or punch the right chat that your life will change because it's not. I'm not here to lie to you. I'm here to tell you the truth as I see it. I will always strive to tell you the truth. I will not always tell you the truth because I will be fucking wrong. I'm not wrong a lot. When I am, I come out and say, I was wrong. Here's why I got it wrong. Here's how I'm going to try to not get it wrong in the future. I'm sorry. Something you'll never get from our mainstream media. Ever. That's why I'll never try to be them. And I'll never pitch to you a collective solution. Because you don't control whether or not that happens. You don't control whether your neighbor stops living life with a YOLO mentality. You don't control that. You control if you do. You don't control, no matter what anybody says to you about going to school board or whatever, you don't control the curriculum that will be taught to your five-year-old or your 15-year-old. You don't. You're not going to, unless you homeschool. Then you have complete control. It's up to you how you do it. But I promise one thing to you. Actually, a couple things. I'm going to make a few promises today, and we're going to close for the day. One, I will always strive to be accurate, and I always correct. I will always correct and admit my mistakes when I see them. That's number one. Number two, I will never present a solution to you that isn't something that you can do at least part of. Absolutely. Number three, I will never stop pushing you to do better. Because I think that's my fucking job. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.